0: Women have played a significant role in our society and culture through time, so let's take a look at the history from the women's side. I'm your host, Brittany, and welcome to Her Story Sessions. Last week, we talked about some pretty amazing groups of warrior women, but what happens when a warrior woman takes the crown and becomes a ruler? Well, if you've made yourself an enemy of her, it was nothing good. These women were not about to be walked over by those that would try to put them in their place. So let's learn about these queens who led their people into battle. I feel like I can't talk about warrior queens without talking about Queen Boudica. She's one I've heard the story of many times and I feel like is one of the most well-known warrior queens with good reason. Most of what we know comes from two Roman historians, Tacitus and Cassius Dio. She was born to an elite family somewhere around 30 CE in the southeast region of England. At 18, she married King Prasatagus of the Iceni tribe, which is a modern-day Norfolk. Five years prior to the marriage, he had submitted to Emperor Claudius when he invaded and took over southern Britain, and King Prasatagus was permitted to continue ruling as an ally to the Romans, but technically, he and his new queen served under the Roman Empire. During their marriage, Queen Boudica had two daughters, and they ruled together until the king's death in 60 or 61 CE. In his will, he left half of his kingdom and possessions to his daughters, and the other half to the Roman Empire, something he thought would protect his family and appease the Romans after he died. Using the loans that had previously been forced on the Celts as a reason, and now demanding full payment, The Romans confiscated all of his lands and his household, along with the property and lands of leading Iceni tribesmen, and the people were stripped of their ally status, effectively reducing them to slaves. Queen Boudicca protested all of this, of course, and for it she was publicly stripped and flogged, and her two daughters were raped by the Roman soldiers. She swore revenge on them after that. The Iceni, together with their neighbors of the Trinovites and the other tribes, all combined to form an army of over 100,000, led by Queen Boudicca. Her image is befitting of a warrior queen. Described as tall and terrifying in appearance, with tawny-colored hair past her waist, a harsh voice, and piercing glare, she regularly wore a large gold necklace with a colorful tunic underneath a large cloak. They began their rebellion by marching on the provincial Roman capital of Britain, a town called Calmelundinum, while the Roman governor was away campaigning on the island of Mona, in what is modern-day Anglesey, the town was only protected by a handful of soldiers, and Queen Boudicca's army massacred its inhabitants. Roman and Rome-supporting Britons alike decapitated a bronze statue of Emperor Nero and burned the town to the ground. When the Roman 9th Legion came to relieve the town, she routed them and annihilated most of the legion. The Roman governor caught wind of the revolt and beat them to Londinium, which is modern-day London, but the settlement was so poorly fortified that he abandoned it to Queen Boudicca's rebel army, who again slaughtered anyone there and burned it all down. She then marched on Verulamium, aka modern-day Saint Albans, which was again abandoned by the Roman governor and sacked and burned by Queen Boudicca's army. It suggested that somewhere between seventy to eighty thousand people were killed, and Nero considered pulling out of Britain altogether. Finally, the governor regrouped his forces to face Queen Boudica's army. Exactly where is unknown, but we do know that he chose a steep-sided, narrow gorge with a forest to the rear, somewhere that eliminated Queen Boudica's superior numbers advantage. Some have suggested that it could have been along the Roman road called Watling Street, somewhere in the West Midlands. According to the legend written by Tacitus, she gave a speech to her army before the battle telling them, It is not as a woman descended from noble ancestry, but as one of the people that am I avenging my lost freedom, my scourged body, the outraged chastity of my daughters. Roman lust has gone so far that not our very persons, nor even age or virginity, are left unpolluted." But heaven is on the side of the righteous vengeance, a legion which dared to fight has perished, the rest are hiding themselves in their camps, or are thinking anxiously of flight. This is a woman's resolve, for as a man they may live and be slaves. The Romans were better equipped and better trained for this battle, and decisively won, killing nearly all of Queen Boudicca's troops. What happened to her after the battle is unknown, with some sources saying she may have died in battle, or that she took poison afterwards. Here is where her rebellion ended, unfortunately, and they failed to drive out the Britons. But today, she is remembered as a national hero and a symbol of freedom. Another national hero still remembered today, this one of Syria, is Queen Zenobia. She was queen of what was then called Pamira in the Roman province of Syria Phoenix. The name Zenobia is actually a Greek translation, meaning one whose. Life derives from Greek, and in her native Pomeranian language, she was better known as Bakzabai. Little is known of her earlier life before she married Odenathus, who was the ruler of the Roman city subordinate, but she most likely came from a noble family to be married to him, and the accounts of her education and fluency in several languages also suggest a noble upbringing. She was his second wife, with Odenathus already having a son from the first marriage. Queen Zenobia had one son, Valbalathus, with him also. Odenathus helped the Romans against the Persian invasion, was declared king of kings of the east in 263, and made governor of the entire east, ruling the Roman territory stretching from modern-day Turkey to Palestine. In 267, Odenathus was co-ruling with his older son when both were assassinated, returning from a military campaign. Queen Zenobia, in her late 20s or early 30s, and whose son was only 10 at the time, quickly took over as regent. It's possible she was traveling with them when they were killed, which means she would have been able to boost the morale of the soldiers and grow her reputation, which could be used to her advantage later on. The power of transfer also seems to have gone smoothly, with no fighting or evidence of delay in between, and her being there would have helped to make that easier. She may have only been regent in name, as her son was only 10, but she really was the real ruler at the time. The Roman Empire at this point was crumbling, protecting their distant borders became nearly impossible, and decentralized government took over. For Palmyra, who had major trade routes through it and an economy dependent on trade, this meant more autonomy and building their own army became necessary to protect their trade routes since they could not rely on the Roman armies to do so anymore. For the first few years, Queen Zenobia ruled over her late husband's territories and fortified settlements along the Persian border. With the Roman emperor focusing on protecting their northern borders, she began to assert her authority in the east. In early 270, Queen Zenobia sent her general Septimus Zabdus to Bostra, the capital city of Arabia Patria, the province to the south of them which was contesting her authority. General Zabdus' forces fought and killed the Roman governor there and sacked and burned the city. He marched south along the Jordan Valley afterwards and had little opposition along the way, probably because most of the area supported Queen Zenobia. Later that year, she sent General Zabdus into Egypt where she also had some supporters. An Egyptian general helped the Palmyrenes and after several battles, Egypt became part of Palmyra and Queen Zenobia began several restoration projects there. One was the Colossae of Memnon, which was supposedly used to sing, but stopped when she repaired the cracks. They then took parts of Asia Minor, taking over the Galatia and Angolia, but failing to take the western part of the area. This campaign is poorly documented, so we don't know much about it. The area she ruled over had several different groups of people, and she tolerated all religious and cultural beliefs, having grown up in a trade city with multilingual and multicultural diversity herself. Since minority religious groups were persecuted by Rome, this gained a lot of support of the people. She was most likely a practitioner of the Palmarine paganism, but several religions claimed she was a follower of theirs because of her tolerance amongst them. She turned her court into a center for learning and attracted many intellectuals. She projected an image of a Syrian monarch, a Hellenistic queen, and a Roman empress. As more and more academics came to the city, it replaced classic learning centers like Athens for the Syrian people. Queen Zenobia probably spent most of her reign in the Syrians' administrative capital of Antioch. Before her husband had established the monarchy, Palmyra was ruled by a senate which handled most of the civil affairs, but Queen Zenobia seemed to have ruled autocratically when she took over. Her most important advisors were her generals, Zabdas, who led the march I mentioned earlier, and another one named Zabdai, both of whom had served under her husband, and she opened her court to the eastern nobility as well. She continued the Roman practice of appointing provincial governors during the early part of our reign, appointing them herself. Initially, Queen Zenobia did her best not to provoke Rome by claiming her and her son as subjects of Rome and the protectors of the east. With constant fighting on their other borders, though, and not wanting to lose the supply of grain that came from Egypt, there wasn't much the emperor could do. But then, in 272, Emperor Aurelian had taken over and was dead set on reassuring Roman authority. Queen Zenobia, who had been using imperial titles more, finally formally broke with Rome. The Palmyrenes were forced to pull back to Syria when Emperor Aurelian's forces took control of the surrounding areas. The Palmyrene army nearly defeated the Romans at the Battle of Amesia, but ultimately lost when their advancing lines broke and the Roman infantry gained the upper hand. Zenobia retreated to the city Palmyra where she prepared for a siege. After food supplies were cut off by the Romans and several unsuccessful negotiations, Queen Zenobia attempted to sneak away to go to the Persians for help. But Emperor Aurelian discovered her plan, and she was soon captured, and the city surrendered after hearing this. The queen, her son, and all of the court officials were taken to the city of Amesia for trial, where they were all tried for treason. All of her supporters that were tried were executed, but she and her son were spared, most likely because the emperor wanted to parade them and publicly humiliate them. What happened to her after that is unknown, with some accounts stating she starved herself to death, or was executed later and others stating she was given an Italian villa to live out her life in and possibly marrying a nobleman or senator. Today, she was still a popular figure in art, literature, and film. Prior to the Roman Empire, where the Greeks and an ally queen to the Persians, Artemisia of Caria fought alongside Xerxes I against the Greek city-states and personally commanded her own naval forces. Caria was an Anatolian region south of the ancient Ilya in modern day Turkey. Artemisia, named after the Greek goddess Artemis, was the daughter of King Lygdamus of Halicarnassus, and her mother was from Crete, although we don't know her name. After the death of her husband, whose name we also don't know, she took over as regent for her son Pisindelus. She is the most known for her involvement in the Battle of Salamis in 480 BC. This was Xerxes' second campaign against the Greeks, after having been defeated before Marathon in 490 BCE. This was the largest force ever assembled to date, and even if Caria was made to supply troops and ships, Artemisia leading her troops herself would not have been required of her, but she decided to anyway. She distinguished herself as a commander and tactician at the naval battle of Artemisium. She would change between flying Greek and Persian colors depending on her need, avoiding conflict until the conditions were right for her to either attack with the advantage or to make a successful getaway. After three days, the battle ended in a draw with the Greek forces pulling back, but this allowed the Persian fleet to regroup. The Greeks then rallied their navy off the coast near the Straits of Salamis, and Xerxes gathered his commanders to discuss whether or not to fight the Greeks again at Salamis and Artemisia, who Xerxes highly respected, was the only one to advise against it, thinking it smarter to wait out the Greeks, especially since the land forces had already captured Athens. In the end, Xerxes decided to go with the majority, and they set out for battle again. Even though Queen Artemisia had disagreed, and the Greeks now had a bounty on her for any man that captured or killed her, she didn't hesitate to join in the fighting this time either. The Greeks feigned retreat into the straits to trick the Persian fleet into following, and once in the more narrow waters, they were able to turn and attack with their smaller, faster boats. Artemisia ended up stuck between a friendly Persian ship and an enemy Greek ship. Herodotus, an ancient historian, wrote, It so happened that in the midst of the general confusion of the Persian fleet, Artemisia's ship was being chased by one from Attica. She found it impossible to escape because the way ahead was blocked by friendly ships and hostile ships were particularly close to hers, so she decided on a plan which did in fact do her a lot of good. With the Attic ship close astern, she bore down on and rammed into one of the ships from her own side which was crewed by men from Calenda and had on board Damathesius, the king of Calenda. Now, I cannot say whether she and Damathesius had fallen out while they were based at Hellasbot, or whether this action of hers was premeditated, or whether the Colindian ship just happened to be in her way at the time. In any case, she found that by ramming it and sinking it, she created for herself a double piece of good fortune. In the first place, when the captain of the Attic ship saw her ramming an enemy vessel, he assumed that Artemisia's ship was either Greek or was a defector from the Persians fighting on his side, so he changed course and turned to attack other ships. Xerxes, who saw this and mistook it for her sinking of an enemy ship, was particularly pleased with her actions, and none of the sailors on the Calendon survived to refute it. The Battle of Salamis ended in complete defeat for the Persians. Xerxes, now afraid the Greeks would march on Hellespont and cut off any escape routes, and remembering the Artemisia's advice against the Battle of Salamis, asked for her advice again. His general, Mardonius, had asked for 300,000 troops to remain and subdue the Greeks while Xerxes returned home. Her response was this, I think you should pull back and leave Mardonius here, with the troops he's asking for, since he's offering to do that of his own free will. My thinking is that if he succeeds in the conquest he says he has set himself and things go as he intends the achievement is yours master because it was your slaves who did it but if things go wrong for Mardonius it will be no great disaster as regards to your survival and the prosperity of your house. I mean if you and your house survive the Greeks will still have to run many a race for their lives but if anything happens to Mardonius It doesn't really matter. Besides, if the Greeks win, it won't be an important victory because they will have only destroyed one of your slaves. The whole point of this campaign of yours was to burn Athens to the ground, and you've done that, so now you can leave. This time, Xerxes took her advice and withdrew, leaving Mardonius behind in Greece. Queen Artemisia was supposedly charged with escorting Xerxes' illegitimate children to safety in Ephesus, and after that, she disappears from history. Several modern ships have been named after Queen Artemisia, and she has been depicted in several movies and books, the most recent of which was 2014's 300 Rise of an Empire, and she was portrayed by Eva Green. So, these were some impressively formidable women, and made impressions that have lasted through time. They prove themselves in battle and their abilities to lead others. I'm sure their stories will continue on for some time to come. That's all for today, and thank you for attending this Her Story Session. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Story Session, and be sure to click follow for more episodes.